Welcome to episode 72. Today, Dr. Maria G. Dove joins us to talk about what school leaders can do to support a culture of collaboration. Welcome to the Teaching Multilingual Learners podcast. This podcast celebrates teachers who answer the calling to serve multilingual students and their families. Your beautiful smile, your beautiful life are waiting for you to shine bright. It's never too early or late to start to rise up and shine. Your beautiful smile, your beautiful life are waiting for you to shine bright. It's never too early or late to start to rise up and shine. Every cloud has. This is part two of the Collaborating for English Learners book. The first podcast of the series was with Dr. Andrew Hugginsfeld, and this one's gonna be with Dr. Maria G. Dove. When we think about teacher collaboration, we usually think about what teams of teachers can do together. But a key to making that partnership thrive are the school leaders. They set the schedule that supports collaboration, they can highlight successful partnerships, and provide resources to collaborative teams. But above all, they set a culture of collaboration. In this episode, Dr. Maria G. Duff joins us to share what school leaders can do to support teacher collaboration. Now, on to today's podcast. With us today is Dr. Maria G. Dove. She is the other half of a team of scholars who have written volumes of books around language learners, particularly around teacher collaboration. And uh, it was my, your book, the Teacher Collaboration for Language Learners is the first book that I read about the topic. You've also shared with me that, oh, it's not just about co-teaching. There's a whole cycle and so we, we look to you, uh, Maria and Andrea, for being such a big light, illuminating light for us on this path, because this is very new for all of us. So welcome, and thank you. Thank you very much for having me uh, here today. Mm -hmm. My pleasure. Can you tell us about your context, like how you got started in this? It's so interesting. I shared this with a colleague uh, recently, how... I actually got started in high school. Mm. And how that occurred was I, there was a peer tutoring program that I was involved with. And there was a group of English learners uh, from South America who came in and they, um, the, the moderator of the program had asked us to work with these students. And I was fascinated how they came to a new country, didn't speak any English, they were entering high school. It just started me on that road of thinking about how do we teach these types of students? And then after that, I, I was really interested in linguistics in my undergrad degree, and that's what I studied. And then later on, started teaching adults at my local church. Who, uh, there was a... Um, it was a group of Japanese uh, women who came to the United States for three to five years with their, their, their husbands, and they needed to learn basic English and, and survival skills. And 
it was such a wonderful experience teaching these women. And so when I got the opportunity to work with um, public education students, uh, I, I took it because I, found, I felt I found my path. Well, I have to thank teachers like you, volunteers like you, who gave up their evenings, gave up their, plan their time with their families to plan and then to teach uh, adult language learners like my mom. I remember she would, no matter how tired she was, after a long day of work on her feet, she would make sure she would come home and she would put on her nicest clothing, put on her makeup, find her notebook, find her pencils and papers, and then proudly go to the local church that was having the ESL classes. And she and her friends would be just so excited and be there because they never had this opportunity when they were in their countries. And so the fact that it was given for free by loving, caring teachers like you, it just means so much. And so thank you. The, the experience was so absolutely wonderful, connecting with young women who were vulnerable in many ways, yes. being in a country uh, that you know, they had to navigate, uh, being away from their greater families, uh, and yet they were so warm yes. and loving yes. and I learned so much about Japanese culture. They were just so very giving. It was, it was, I, I think, a, a lovely exchange. And uh, my volunteering, you know, was in some ways more beneficial, I think, to me than <laughs> to my students. It's very true. We, I feel like I get more from my kids than they get from me sometimes. I'm like, oh, yes, thank you for, I know who the real teacher in this room is. And sometimes that's not me. <laughs> Would you tell us about now your, so you've been known for writing about teacher collaboration with Andrea. So would you just tell us a really quick synopsis of why is teacher collaboration uh, the, the focus now of working with language learners and why is it beneficial, I guess? Well, interestingly enough, when I started working with English learners years ago, we had our small group instruction Students were pulled from their regular classes. Uh, and it was delightful in many ways because the students felt very safe and nurtured and you had complete control over the instruction that was going on. But little by little, I realized that students were coming to me for several hours a day and they were missing uh, core subjects yes. in their regular classes. And because there was no communication going on between me and the classroom teacher, I wasn't able to integrate the learning that was happening in the classroom into to my lessons. And what was happening is the students' grades were suffering because they were missing out on these core subjects and not able to um, really perform on achievement tests. So interestingly enough, I happened to have a, an occurrence in school where there was such an influx of students that the administrators had to take away our small little ESL rooms and I had to then go push into the class and pull aside my students. And that wasn't working out because my students were distracted by what the classroom teacher was doing and vice versa. Right. 
And little by little, with a few colleagues, we started to decide, well, you know, our special education colleagues are co-teaching. Maybe we can collaborate in some way, shape, or form to figure out what that process was. And even with students that I uh, was still pulling out for instruction, we found that conversations we were having about what was happening in the classroom was really enhancing the instruction they were getting in the ESL class. So that's how collaboration really began in, in my context. However, interestingly enough, I had asked this question to my teacher candidates at Malloy College recently in one of our classes. And one uh, student said something very interesting. She said, we collaborate in order to create safe learning environments for our students. And I thought that was so profound. Mm -hmm. The idea that when students don't feel safe, they most certainly can't learn. So that's just such a, a common basis for teacher collaboration that students feel that they're in a safe environment. Yeah. I wrote down uh, when we're pulling kids out, they might be missing out, right? So I said, be careful of when our good intentions, a positive intentions of pulling kids out might cause them to be missing out. And that's true because they spend the majority of their time in content classes. And they spend such a fraction of our time with us, with, with language specialists. So instead, we should, we, it would be great if we could be in their classes where they spend the majority of the time working with the teachers, finding ways to help the work with the teacher so that the content is accessible and for kids to be able to understand the content, but also to engage. And the, the material in the content, the material that's in the content classes is the fodder for language use, for critical thinking. Absolutely. Uh, Andrea and I often talk about this youngster in our research who was in a district that had a lot of funds and a lot of programs available. Right. And the administrative decision was, well, let's give this student as much as we possibly can. So they put the student in two periods of ESL a day in a reading with a reading specialist one period a day in a computerized program for reading. And also they put the student in classes for um, their uh, home language support. So they felt that they were really nurturing the student, but what they were doing actually was fragmenting the student's day yes. to the point where she didn't feel she belonged anywhere. And that, that was part of the problem. When we look at pull-out programs, we think about them supporting students, but we really have to look at the whole child and see how are these programs, as well-intentioned they are, yes. are really sometimes detrimental. Right, isolating, right. Because the kids feel like they are being pulled away from what they really want is to be with their colleagues, sorry, to be with their classmates. I mean, the realization is that, my realization in teaching is that kids don't come to school for teachers or to learn. And this is very now so true during school closures. They come to school for their friends. Uh, and if I might say, students don't come to to uh, school to speak with their teachers. Yes, they, they come to speak with yes. their classmates. Yes, yes. And now we want to, so the idea is 
let them stay in their content classes, in their homeroom classes, so that they can interact with their classmates, so that they can not just only learn the content, but they can actually use and develop language. And it, I love how you talked about there are like two levels, there are multiple levels of teacher support, teacher collaboration. The first level is that kids access content. But the second level is that kids feel like they belong. Because when we pull kids out, often what happens is they feel like they're different and they feel like they're missing out. They're, they're different and they, don't, they feel like they might not belong in that community. That's why they're being pulled out. But really, when we leave them there, we're saying, oh yes, you can learn the exact same things. You might need to learn it in a different way. So stay there, we'll come in, we'll work together with, with, your, with your other teachers to make sure you learn the same thing. Absolutely, you have to consider what is their self-efficacy yes. when they're told they have to leave to learn. Right. And allowing them to stay with their peers really builds their confidence. In that they can do the work, and it builds the belief in the classmates, in the non non language learner classmates, that that oh hey this 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 person who is not an English speaker belongs in my community, belongs in my school. Oh, they just need special services. They just need different ways. And oh yay, they're actually just intelligent like I am. Oh, we're learning about ecosystems. We're both learning about ecosystems, but they just need it in a different way. And that's really the power. And so really it's teacher collaboration, it hits multiple levels from, and it serves so, it serves kids in multiple ways. Absolutely. So can you talk about how it serves teachers? Well, interestingly enough, what occurs with teacher collaboration is not only, um, it doesn't only address the English learners in the class. What really occurs is this conversation of the whole class. Yes. And what you're gaining um, is the knowledge and expertise of another teacher to support all your students. So the, the brilliance of collaboration is that you often don't know what your teaching partner knows. Yes. And that comes out in these conversations when you're trying to uh, make decisions for instruction and problem solve in particular. And it's amazing how, how that occurs through these conversations and how confidence as uh, in the partnership grows through, through these conversations. I used to think that co-teaching was going into classes and I would get, I was supposed to be supporting content teachers, but in the end, really, it was them supporting me. I was learning so many new tricks and strategies and approaches that I felt like, oh, I'm learning so much and this is the best form of professional learning because everyone talks about, oh, hey, you should do teacher observations. That's embedded into my practice. That's embedded into my job description to go into classes and work with teachers. And it's such a great way of building and improving your practice and adding toolkits to your to your tool belt. I'm a better teacher because I get to be in other teachers' classrooms to work with them. Absolutely. I had never truly developed the idea of uh, classroom management before I came into 
whole class instruction. And what I learned about not just classroom management, but literacy development with young children, how they are capable of, I, I learned about writer's workshop, just being in someone else's class who was a absolute whiz with developing students' ability to write. Uh, it, it, Andrea often says it is the best uh, professional development that's embedded in the school day. Yes. I, I, can't, I can write a whole book about what I learned from being yes. in other people's yes. classes. And the main, one of the main things besides the techniques that I learned, the strategies, I think it's the mindsets that I have developed because working because from working with my co-teachers. For example, like I used to believe that language learners needed to be in separate rooms. And like this is me, I'm a language learner. Like I said, oh yes, because that's that was my experience. And that was the intent that was and that's that's my experience. And I'm not saying that the, my teachers in the past did the best they could with what they with what they knew. And so I replicated that. And I said, well, let's pull them out. Why do you want them to know the word photosynthesis when they can't read the word cat, right? So I would, until I met teachers who said, you can't pull kids out. And principals said, you can't pull kids out, not because we, not just because we don't believe in that, it's because we don't have the room and the scheduling and the spacing. So you're just gonna stay there and you're gonna work with, the, with your content teachers. And through that, through that experience, I started believing, wow, language learners can achieve the exact same thing at the exact same level as non-language learners. They just need support. And that was really the, the mindset, mindset shift that I needed that then informed all of my strategies. Interesting. I, I think I had a similar epiphany. It was in a workshop I had taken years ago with a wonderful woman called Maxine LaRouse. And she had with her a rolling pin and a kitchen colander. And she said, why do students need to learn rolling pin and colander when, like you just mentioned, they should be learning words like photosynthesis. Yes, yes. And it just, I always talk, took my job as being, I have to teach them English. That my job just fell into that little box. Right, right. And what she helped me understand is that if you're not connecting it to their academics and their ability to access academics, yes. what are you doing? Yes. And it was just the big aha moment that yes. helped me to, to change yes. what I was doing first in the pullout program yes. and then later on yes. in the co-talk programs yes. that I was in. Exactly. Now, my, my epiphany is that was that I don't have to teach them English per se. I have to facilitate engagement with academic content. When that happens, then their language will will flourish and develop. That's good. It gives them a purpose. Yes. You have to give them a purpose to yes. learn the language beyond talking with their peers. Yes. You know. Uh, so it's it's so very vital for them to have that purpose and to see their own progress academically. Yes. That's uh, that's why I always say I always say that content is the in breath, and language is the out breath. Try holding your in breath only or try holding, just exhaling. It doesn't work. They need to work together because you can't teach content without language and you can't use language without a purpose, which is the content, engagement with the content. You can steal that, you know. Anytime, please use it, not a problem. <laughs> <laughs> when Andrew came on this podcast, she really talked to teachers. Now you're here to talk. I would love for you to talk to administrators. Pretend you're in a room full of administrators. 
What would you tell them about teacher collaboration, these principals and superintendents and policymakers? You know, we, we have a, a culture um, developed in, in the United States, which is one that is based on people's independence. Mm -hmm. And the idea is that you're supposed to independently move forward, yet not one person can have all of the ideas. Any great things that have occurred in the uh, progress of humankind has come from collaborative efforts. And when we look at what has occurred in um, the modern world, as we uh, learned about, uh, you know, Thomas Edison developed, didn't develop the, the whole concept of the light bulb on his own. He had a team. You know, Steve Jobs didn't develop the uh, you know Apple computer. He had a team, and so why aren't we taking these you know ideas and really supporting our stu our our teachers by allowing them to work and develop in teams? And and it's a matter of and and interestingly enough, many many administrators tend to be um, go, go ahead on, on a solo basis. They, they go it alone. Uh, again, not developing the collaborative culture. But we find that when schools in and of themselves develop cultures that are collaborative, that, that you, can, you can truly see the benefit. It really translates into student achievement. And there is much evidence in the research for that. So when we really look to the research and see that uh, the essence of teacher collaboration is truly one that affects student learning, we really have to then think about frameworks that can support that practice. Ooh, let's talk about that framework. Before I get there, I, I would agree that the research supports that. It's what John Hattie said. He said that teacher collective, collective teacher efficacy, the belief that a group of teachers in a building all together uh, are believe that kids can achieve. And so they work towards that. And then they come together and they analyze what are the things we're doing that's impacting student achievement. And so when they, when they analyze the data, they start believing, oh yes, these are things we could do. Here are the things we can't. So let's focus on the things we can do. Could you talk about the frameworks that are so essential? Well, first and foremost, I think that establishing a collaborative school culture is not an easy task. It's not one that comes with a directive from the administrator when they say, all right, we're all going to collaborate. I'm going to set up a time frame, and then teachers are going to meet in groups. That's great to have that, but it doesn't quite begin to create that sense of security and trust that teachers need in order to collaborate openly. So I think in many ways, administrators have to determine, have they in any way, shape or form set up a system that teachers feel that they are uh, in competition with one another? Mm. Is, is that in place? How do you go about reducing that? 
what kind of seeds can you plant with certain groups of teachers that you know are more willing to collaborate? So starting small, handpicking those teachers you know are willing, allowing them to form these partnerships, develop that and then showcase it and then trying to get more people on board. So it doesn't come from directives or just ideas. The idea here is to start a collaborative culture by asking people, all your faculty, uh, to participate in identifying what that is. What's your mission? What is your vision for working with English learners? And together, once teachers feel that they have a voice, then they have a stake in what goes on. So that's what I think needs to be done as far as the beginning. Yes. Frameworks then really are devised by having teachers uh, having that time to, to meet with one another and not necessarily be governed by what occurs during the meetings at first, yet allowing them to set their own agendas uh, keep minutes and then inform uh, the leadership of what's going on in these meetings. I think from there, I think there might be some avenue for peer coaches to be involved, working with teams of teachers. So, so the leader has to keep his or her distance in a way to allow teachers to figure out what's going on. Very much so what's happening with online learning right now. Okay. You know, the teachers are in a situation where they're trying to figure out how to do this. They're collaborating more than ever, that's what we're finding. Yeah. And leaders are taking a little bit of a step back and just monitoring what's going on, what's working, what do we need to do. So continuing that conversation with the faculty is key in any type of collaborative effort long-term. I, I, when you were talking about um, not micromanaging what happens during the teacher collaboration, I got an, I had an image of Lao Tzu who created Taoism. And he was invited to uh, an emperor's castle and the emperor said, please teach me how to work with, how to govern my, my, my country. And then Lao Tzu said, okay, I, can you just please um, set up a little frying pan for me to fry some fish? Lao Tzu, uh, the emperor said, oh, okay, if you want that, that's not a problem, but that's weird. I asked you to help me run a country, not to cook. So it's not a problem. So, so the, it was set up, and Lao Tzu asked the emperor to go and fry the fish. And he said, now, if you poke it too much, it won't work. But if you don't poke it, poke it enough, it'll burn. So your job as an emperor is to know when to poke and when to not. And so that's the story. That's the same thing with, with principles. It's not saying, hey, you create a structure, you not just give them, yes, time is essential. But then we have to be careful of micromanaging that. We need to model, but not micromanage. And so knowing the balance between when to poke and when not to. It's a great story. Yeah, isn't that great? It's a, so great for it, it, metaphors. I love teaching with metaphors. I love thinking about metaphors. It really helps. Yeah. And I also really appreciate you talking about the essence before we talked about framework. 
before even getting there, you talked about the essence of collaboration is creating a culture where teachers trust and are willing to work with each other. And the strategy that you said was, that you offered was, find teachers who are willing to do this together. Start with them. And then as they work, nurture their collaboration and then showcase it off. Because then it's less like a directive and more of like, hey, this is what, this is what a team is doing. Uh, would anybody else like to have a similar experience. So it's an invitation instead of a directive. Also, uh, Andrew and I are, are uh, invited many times to, to come to, to school districts to uh, present professional development uh, workshops. And they often, the administrators often ask us what they think you know, their teachers need. And we often say, well, you need to ask your teachers. <laughs> what do they need? Yes. You know, it seems like such a, a simple thing, but, you know, we come prepared very often to, you know, present a workshop, but midstream we, we change up depending upon the needs of the teachers. And usually there is a variety of needs, but it's important for administrators to ask the teachers what they need. And very often teachers might already know that they're not being so successful that they need support. But there might not be any mechanism within the uh, teacher uh, um, administrator relationship to ask for that help. So by administrators asking teachers what they need, it opens that, that door for them. Yeah, it, it's inviting because instead of saying, this is what I think you need, here's the answer, do it this way. It really starts with saying, it's, it's very similar to us conferencing with students. Instead of saying, here, do this, it's saying, oh, what are you doing? Oh, what is your goal for this, for this book? What is your goal for this writing piece? Ah, oh, that's what you're doing here. If that's your goal, let me support you in this way. Yeah. So it, the analogy is similar. What are, what, what are the things that administrators often ask you the most about teacher collaboration in your workshops? Or their biggest concerns? I think their biggest concerns is making sure that teachers are being productive <laughs> during the time that they're given. Yes. They are um, happy to give teachers the time, but they often don't know if they're using that time wisely. In a preliminary study that I had done before I conducted my doctoral research, I went and I observed student. Uh, I observed teachers collaborating with one another, and I was very pleased that this one administrator gave me carte blanche to just go into different groups of, of teachers, and I was very welcomed. And interestingly enough, there were teachers who, when given the opportunity, were so focused and task driven and used the time so very, you know, efficiently where other groups of teachers spent their time socializing and allowing one another just to talk about things that had nothing to do with student learning. And then the last 10 minutes of the meeting, they said, oh, we better produce something. We have to give hand it into the administrator. <laughs> and interestingly enough, protocols for meetings are really a good device to allow teachers uh, to 
focus on what needs to be done. So that's why agenda setting is important. And part of agenda setting is allowing maybe for five to 10 minutes for some personal conversations, some celebrations, some anything you need to, to share with one another in the first 10 minutes. And then after that, there should be an agenda that, they, that is followed so that the time that's needed is allotted toward, again, focused conversations for student development. So you're talking about um, balancing that need for efficiency and relationship building. And you're saying, yes, we principals, it's okay if they're spending a lot of their time socializing because they're really forming trust, they're forming a relationship. They're saying, hey, can I trust you? Can I joke around with you this way? Are we okay? And then we'll, we'll get to the business. I think I tell, I share with teachers, I say that collaboration is something earned. It's not assigned. Can you give us an example of a school or a principal that you've seen really develop school-wide culture of collaboration really well? Absolutely. There was one, they were pretty remarkable. Not only the principal was involved in this understanding of collaborative culture, but the central office, the mm. superintendent of schools, oh, wow. the, um, the assistant superintendent, all had the idea that they really believed in the, the concept of the moral imperative for uh, really supporting all students, yes. and in particular in this district, English learners. And they formed teams of teachers and they fostered their relationship by keeping those teaching teams together because they were working, when they were working well. And it was, it was just so wonderful to see how accessible the principal was for these teams and how supportive. And although they still were, were, were finding that the student achievement scores weren't where they had hoped them to be, they didn't put that on the teaching teams because there was there's such a variety of, of factors uh, involved with working with high schoolers who are um, you know learning both English and academics. Yes. They also expanded their co-teaching program so that all the core subjects had co-teaching teams. So it wasn't just one or two periods with uh, English the English teacher um, a day. It was also co-teaching in math, co-teaching in social studies, and co-teaching in science. It's like a so system. they really embraced the philosophy of, of collaboration. It's not isolated. It was like a whole system, a school-wide approach to it. Absolutely. What, what would you, talk, you mentioned about superintendents. What would you say to superintendents? Interestingly enough, I, I met a superintendent who um, was really... Um, he was really immersed in the culture of the community. Mm. And when I had met with him, he had invited me out to lunch. And in this tiny little um, uh, restaurant, little cafe, uh, so many people came up to him and knew him. Mm. And he told me about how he attended uh, the children's uh, religious ceremonies outside of wow. school. And he, he was so totally immersed in the community. And that's what truly helped him to understand the needs 
of of the the families that you know of, of the students that he was in charge of and so sometimes i i think school leaders consider themselves as in that school box that that's where they belong that's where their skills will uh, are are um, most needed and that's true of course however I find that, that school leaders who are truly in, connected with and immerse themselves in the community, even though they may be of a different cultural background than the community, it opens up doors for that collaboration, not just between teachers and administrators, but also administrators and the greater uh, communities right. and families and communities. So what I hear you saying is really about the relationship, even at the superintendent level, modeling relationship, modeling, building it, modeling, going into the community. It's the same way as us going into, uh, going into working with our co-teachers co and not saying, here, this is what you need to do. Like the superintendent didn't say, here, this is how you should, uh, this is how you should educate kids. The superintendent went into the community to say, how can I be part of it? What can I learn? What can I... How can I participate in this in a respectful way? It's very similar. I think superintendents uh, as learners, you yes. know, it's a very interesting point that you just made right. that that we're all continuing our learning and it's so critical to truly understand the context in which our English learners um, right. really come from. Right. And the second thing, as you talked about learn, like learners, like superintendent as learners, I always think about teachers as learners as well. And again, a selling point that for, for uh, superintendents is that the best learning can happen between two teachers, sitting in a room, sitting or working in a room, sitting next together, planning. You don't really need, you, it's great to have experts fly in, but they're not, they're not there for the whole year. Who, the people that are there the whole year are your co-teachers. And they are the ones that really help you think about your practice, help you reflect, help you shape your, your craft. Let's end with this. We end with something called traffic light teaching. It's a metaphor. And uh, red light is something that you ask teachers to stop doing. And it, it, these lights don't have to deal with teacher collaboration. It can, it can be about teaching in general. So red light is something that you ask teachers to stop doing as much as possible or as soon as possible. Uh, a yellow light is something that you ask teachers to slow down or start to question about their practice. And a green light is a go. Do as much as possible. You can start with any order. <laughs> right, I think I'll start with, with the red light, the stop doing. The one thing that's detrimental to, to building um, trust and security is silly gossip. Yes. Uh, uh, you know, very often we don't know much about our colleagues except for the little bits of gossip we hear. And if I could get them to do anything, it would be stop gossiping. You know, yes. uh, and if you are going to gossip, tell something nice about somebody. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. what Andrea said. I remember in the meeting when she led a workshop that I was in, she said that I attended, she said, your homework is to make sure at the end of the period when you finish collaborating or co-teaching or co-planning, make sure, make sure you compliment them for something they did, right? 
And then the yellow light, or oh, sorry, yes, yellow light or green light. Oh, and um, for the yellow light, I don't want to say the word don't. Um, Consider. I think the yellow light, I, I would suggest that whatever their expectations are for collaboration, they need to temper those expectations with the with the idea that everyone has different expectations for what collaboration is going to yield. Mm -hmm. And until you can have those honest conversations about what your expectations are, your, your, the, the fruit from collaboration might not be what you expect it to be. Mm -hmm. So the idea is to slow down and start by trying to set goals for your collaboration. And from those goals, then you'll be better able to, to, uh, to reap the benefits yes. for what you think you, you need from, from the, the partnerships. Right. And then green light, I have to say that experiment and enjoy the risk taking that you, you do. Um, the idea here is to fully develop your lesson ideas and try out new things. Um, when someone makes a suggestion, just to have some faith and go with it. And if it doesn't work out, then you'll reflect on why it didn't work and then it'll be a seed for your next adventure. So the idea here is to, for collaboration, uh, to really flourish. It, it should be something that's joyful, mm -hmm. something that responds to uh, the needs of, of students, as well as the fulfillment of your teaching experience. Right, right. If it's not joyful, if it, it's, if it doesn't feel like an affirming experience, we won't do it. We'll, we'll shun away from it. So yeah, thank you for those. Well, Maria, Really appreciate you spending the time. And the way that I noticed when I asked you a question, you just stop and think. You don't just respond. You actually stop and take it in. And you really, and I can see you going back into your library of experiences and memories. And you're like, oh, here, this is what is coming up. And so I really appreciate that. And we wish you years of health because that means more books, more articles, more workshops, more learning from you. So we appreciate you letting us stand on your very tall shoulders. So we appreciate it. Thank you so very much, Tom. Before we recap this episode, I have a favor and an invitation. My favor is to ask you to please review this podcast if you found it valuable so that teachers like you become inspired and informed in their advocacy work. My invitation is for you to enroll in my scaffolding learning or teacher collaboration courses. I've taken the principles that I've learned from experts in the field. I've applied them to my classes. I kept the things that worked and I'm sharing all of them in these courses. I hope you consider enrolling. Now onto our recap. 
I know it seemed like I have a negative tone towards pull-out instruction. It's only because there are different alternatives that help students feel more included and that communicate that they belong in a larger school community. I also believe that it's everyone's responsibility to support language learners, not just the language specialists. However, if you find yourself working in a school that has a pullout program, Maria suggests that you could still collaborate and align your pullout instruction to meet the learning goals that the students are learning and the content that the students are learning in the classes that they're missing. This means that students are getting the intensive language services that they need while still accessing grade level content to better participate in content classes. I do feel though compelled to say that part of being an anti-racist teacher is to advocate for inclusion. From the outside, it looks like separating the black, brown, yellow students from their peers in a pull-out system. In many countries, especially in the US and Canada, schools used to be segregated by race. Let's not go back to segregated schools because separate but equal is never really equal, just separate. Maria said that before we have a framework for collaboration, school administrators have to create a culture of cooperation, not competition which creates a toxic working environment. She also recommended protecting and creating time for teachers to work together. Maybe start with a small team who wants to collaborate, then share their successes as a case study to other teachers. Lastly, she recommended not forcing a structure of collaboration. Instead, administrators can give teachers time and the space to construct their own framework with support from the instructional coaches. In the next episode, we'll have Anne Benegan join us to talk about her book called Co-Teaching That Works. Thank you for listening. I'll see you soon. Be safe and be rooted in peace. It's your turn to play Traffic Light Teaching. Tweet at me either your red yellow or green light from this particular episode. You're beautiful.